0: Good to be here. I was telling uh, my wife Ruth on the way over. I can remember the first time I preached here. We had an old Volkswagen van, and uh, I was uh, she drove me over, and I can remember sitting in the passenger seat, going over my notes and everything, and I was nervous. Uh, it was, uh, but the church has changed. It was in the old building in that little that little section there. Now, praise God when he's done here. Uh, and uh, so it's good to uh, to be up here. Uh, let me get my, speaking of my notes, let me get them up here also. And then, back then, I don't think I needed my glasses, but I need them now. Okay, um, our text is going to be Romans 1. I'm sure you'll know know this text if you know anything about Martin Luther, Romans 1 and 1 through 7. Let's go actually to 17. I said 7, 17. Speaking of needing glasses. Uh, Romans 1, 1 through 17. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophecy in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, According to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world.
1: For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the
0: gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers,
1: making request if By some means, now at last, I may find a way
0: in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established.
1: That is, that I may be encouraged together
0: with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now. As we think of the book of Romans, what was the main purpose of this letter? Well, John Calvin said justification by faith is the principal question of the whole letter. And I'll read you a quote from Martin Luther telling what he got out of Romans, uh, especially Romans 1:17. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors to paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Many of us here, by God's grace, have experienced justification by faith in Jesus Christ. As we study the book of Romans, anywhere we would look... We need to let this doctrine sink in more and more and more and cause us to praise God in newer and richer ways than ever before. Now, as we think of the greeting in Romans 1, as we look at this passage today, we see two main points. First, Paul identifying himself And second, Paul identifying the Roman church and us. It's important for us to know who we are so we can be who we are. If that sounds confusing, don't worry. If you pay attention, you'll understand by the end of the message. As we look at verse 1, we see Paul identifying himself. He is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Yes, he is a servant... But then he goes on to tell us what type of servant he is. He is called to be an apostle. Apostello stello being sent and apo, out. One who is sent out, and even more particularly, sent out with a purpose. He was sent out with a special commission. And let's uh, just review... Paul's special call by Jesus in Acts 9. This is when he was the Pharisee Saul, and uh, I'll begin at 9.1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying... And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So as we go back to Romans 1.1, we see there can be no doubt about what Paul is saying. He was called to be an apostle and separated unto the gospel by the risen Jesus Christ himself. He did not assume this authority by himself. Christ commissioned him. Now as we go on to verses 2 through 5, we see Paul giving a brief description of just what is the gospel from God. Verse 2 tells us God had promised it for centuries before through his prophets in the Old Testament. Then verse 3 becomes more specific. The gospel of God concerns God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God promised David his throne would be established forever. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was of the lineage of David. And through Jesus, David's throne was established forever. 2nd Samuel 7 verses 12 and 16 record God's promise to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from you, your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This statement, of course, would cause the Jewish Christians to rejoice as they are reminded by Paul that Jesus is the seed of David that God promised. Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, whose kingdom is forever. Then as we go on to verse 4, we see Paul emphasizing that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. Not only his power to be perfectly righteous or his power to do miracles or his power to die for our sins, but also the power shown in his resurrection from the dead. God set his seal of approval on all that Jesus did when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. All who by God's grace put their trust in Jesus, the Savior and Lord, will surely be resurrected from the dead also and spend eternity in heaven with him. Then as we go on to verse
1: 5a, we see Paul again pointing to the fact that it is by this Jesus that Paul
0: has received grace and apostleship. Then verse 5b tells why God has received this grace to be an apostle, as well as the other apostles. It is to bring the nations, or Gentiles, or the goy, sometimes it's used derogatorily by Jewish people to describe the Gentiles, the goy, or goyim, and to bring them to faith. Then, in verse 6, Paul recognizes the fact that these Romans, to whom he is writing, are already the effectually called by Jesus Christ. uh, They're true believers, and they want him to come there and minister to to them. And he further identifies them in verse 7, where he says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called to be saints, holy ones, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There we have it. Paul has identified himself and he has identified us. Down through the ages, this letter comes to us. To build us up in the faith and remind us of the doctrines of grace. So Jesus Christ called Paul to be an apostle and separated him to minister and live the gospel. Jesus Christ called the Romans also, and they are called to be saints. They are called to be holy ones. The Greek word has the idea of being separated from sin and from the world for God's use, to draw closer to God always, uh, and uh, the righteousness, his righteousness. We should note here That some churches that preach a false gospel also have false teachings about the people they call saints. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches Roman Catholics to pray to God through deceased human beings called saints and not through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. I come out of the Greek Orthodox Church and they do the same things. Certain people that they call saints meet their standards. So they've un- invented actually unbiblical standards that they use to make only certain people saints. Jesus Christ disagrees with them and teaches this to Christians in John 14:6. Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." But through him This teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is also a very serious sin against God because in Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will give to no other, nor, nor my praise. Here we see that when the Roman Catholic Church teaches that dead human beings whom they say are saints, that are now In heaven can hear the prayers of millions of people around the world at the same time. And they have power to answer those prayers. They have clearly gone against God's word. And given the glory and praise of the eternal God. To his temporal creations. Whether it is Mary or the saints. Nowhere in the Bible is there any evidence that any sinful, limited human being is ever given the full attributes of God. While the Roman Catholic Church priesthood and their false traditions may try to say that some people become saints by going above and beyond the call of duty, Jesus says this in Luke 17.10, So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded Say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So it is clear that even if we could do all that Jesus commanded, we are just doing what we should be doing and are unprofitable. None of us ever goes above and beyond the call of duty in the eyes of God. And actually... All believers are called saints in the Bible because our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus and we are clothed in His righteousness. We are God's holy ones because He has made us holy in Jesus Christ. Just look at all the verses in the Bible in which all true Christians in this church on earth are called saints. You go to Acts 9.13 Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from my mom- on many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. In Acts 9:32, now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. In Acts 26:10, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's the Apostle Paul talking about what he did when he was the Pharisee Saul, before he was saved. And it goes on, I can cite verse after verse after verse, if you have a concordance at home, just look up saints and you'll see. So, as far as Mary is concerned, she called herself a sinner, when in Luke one forty six and 47, she acknowledged she too was a sinner in need of salvation by calling God her Savior. In what's called Mary's Magnificat, but she called God her Savior. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Roman Catholic Church traditions have gone so far from the Bible that they actually call Mary the co-operatrix and even comediatrix of Jesus. That uh, She, uh, it's by, with her, uh, she it wasn't Jesus alone that saves us, but Jesus and Mary saves us from our sins. And uh, it's important, I, I bring this up, especially when you think of uh, this is Reformation Day, that uh, uh Martin Luther, if you read the 95 Theses, uh, you'll uh, see many of the things that were wrong then, but it's multiplied. If you could see all the things they did in the centuries between 1517 and uh, now, it's unbelievable how far they've gone from Scripture. So, the Scripture teaches... That Jesus Christ is the only Redeemer provided by God to save true Christians from their sins. Mary may have suffered as she mourned the loss of her son, but she did not suffer to redeem anyone from their sins. And Jesus said again in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And remember Acts 4:12 nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So notice that God, the God-inspired writers of this Word, do not add Mary's name to the name of Jesus as co-redemptor in those verses.
1: We are to respect Mary as the mother of Jesus
0: but we must also recognize that she said herself in Luke 147 that she needed a Savior. And I believe Mary herself would be very upset with these false teachings invented by the Roman Catholic Church that seek to give her a part in the mediation between God and man that belongs only to Jesus. Now, Jesus certainly respected his mother in perfect obedience to the fifth commandment. But if he wanted to magnify his mother to the extent of the false doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, he had plenty of opportunity. As a matter of fact, he does just the opposite in his inspired, recorded interactions with her. In John 2, 1-4, two, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now while Jesus does answer her request, he mildly rebukes his mother for making her request At this particular time in his ministry. And we also see how Jesus deals with his mother and brothers when they have difficulty getting to him in Matthew 12, beginning at verse 46. And it says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And he said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If Jesus wanted to establish the exalted view of Mary that's been invented by the false traditions of the Roman Catholic Church... Here was his perfect opportunity. He could have said that his great and wonderful mother is here, and then told all of the people they must immediately step aside and make way for his co-redemptor. But he doesn't do that at all. Instead, he actually makes Mary and his brothers wait outside while he teaches a very important spiritual lesson that one's family relationship with Jesus is not based on being his physical relative, but by being his spiritual relative and by demonstrating that relationship through obedience to God's will as revealed in his word. And Jesus makes this point again in Luke 11, beginning of verse 27. And it happened as he spoke these things, he was on his way to die for our sins, that, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bare you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here we see a woman in the crowd saying how blessed Mary was to have given birth to Jesus and nursed him. Again, Jesus has the opportunity to build on her statement and also say something wonderful about Mary. But he doesn't do it. Instead, while he doesn't disagree with the woman that she was blessed, his main emphasis is to point to the people who are truly blessed, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Clearly, Jesus does not use any of these opportunities to establish the exalted view of Mary that has been invented by the Roman Catholic Church. But instead, he uses them to exalt obedience to God's word as the sign of those who are truly blessed by God and saved by God's grace. So, when we pray, we must flee this unbiblical false Doctrine of praying through the so called saints in Mary. We must pray always then that the Bible teaches that only God is present everywhere, or the theological language, omnipresent, knows everything, omniscient, and is all powerful, omnipotent. These attributes are part of his glory and praise, and he clearly states. In Isaiah 42.8, that he will not give his glory or his praise to another. We should again note here that nowhere in the Bible does it say that when anyone dies, they receive any of the attributes that exclusively belong to God. The Bible teaches that God will always remain God with all his infinite, eternal, divine attributes. And we, as his creations, will always remain creations with all our limited creation attributes. We will be changed by God in order to dwell with him in the new heaven and earth, but we will always remain his limited creations. So true Christians... In obedience to Jesus Christ, only pray to God the Father, through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit who dwells in them. So, whether you are the Apostle Paul or just an everyday saint, it is Christ who has called you and separated you for his own glory. Now let's think about what saints should be doing. Many so-called saints are happy to be called or saved, but they don't want to be separated from sin and the world. Jesus said if you love him, you would keep his commandments. Examine yourselves tonight. Has the Holy Spirit been convicting you of some sinful attitude or practice in your life Have you been hardening your heart? The Holy Spirit has been calling you to be separate from sin and the world. But you keep fighting the separation. Do you identify more with the world or with Christ and godliness? As I look out on people who have come to the Sunday evening service, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Because... You're here. Uh, You took this time to be here. To worship Him. To sing His praises. To praise Him with prayers and ask for things uh, in prayer. And so God has blessed you. And just moving in you to be here. The Holy Spirit moving in you. Praise God. So now though, remember, God is calling you to a more abundant life always. By separating yourself From that sin and drawing closer to him in righteousness. You know what it is? It's not just obeying. It's joyfully and lovingly obeying. Thank you, Lord, for your commandments. They protect me. They're a guardian about me. I remember uh, uh, how they talk about these uh, sheep dogs that protect the sheep. and and I remember uh, uh, the the Bulls had a dog named Harper he just died recently and um, he would guard the family Uh, when we were in we would go out to the Outer Banks and the family would be out with all the kids and the parents and everybody and we would all be in a, a group out in the water the waves would be breaking on us and kids would be swimming around and the parents and Harper would go out into the water and make a circle around the family, come back up on the beach, and then go make another circle around the family. They were his sheep, his family, and he just, he was always there guarding them. And so we uh, we have God Almighty who doesn't sleep, uh, who uh, is always there, He's never, never, never. Uh, gone somewhere where he doesn't know about us and care about us and uh, he's made these animals uh, to uh, kind of emulate what it means uh, to um, be a guardian Uh, and so praise God for that and and those commands that he gives you those are guardians, They're, they're, they're like a banister in life to keep you from falling off into sin which is waiting there no, no, come on, jump over the banister. Come on, like that. And, and uh, But the, he has that banister around us, and it's beautiful and wonderful. And praise God for his banister. And run to his commandments, as I said, joyfully and lovingly. And um, just uh, especially um, uh, I, uh, the pastor's prayer, talking about... Uh, our young Christians today, and that the, all the temptations that are out there that the Lord would uh, deliver them from that and uh, and that 's it that uh, we need to pray for them that's that 's really bad out there, and uh, whatever you want he 's got it for you he 's waiting uh, for you and to just Satan to grab you and pull you over the banister you, know, you don 't want to do that and 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 make sure you warn the, your young people. You have uh, uh, children or grandchildren or uh, ne- nieces and nephews. Uh, and, but, uh, the world. and I was out there in that world for, for a while. Uh, and uh, it's all, it's all as, as the Apostle Paul said, he, he was involved with religious things and probably did many good things in, in the name of religion. And he said, it just, I count it as rubbish for what I've gained in Jesus Christ. And that's the way we have to try and warn them. Warn them uh, that uh, he's always there trying to drag us down. Now, we see who we are. We talked about being his saints and separated to be beho- his holy ones. And so we need to... Uh, uh, be who we are. I said we know who we are now. We did that. And now we need to be who we are. And just coming to worship tonight, as I said, praise God. You're here. You're doing part of what he said. And, and what, when, whatever gift you have uh, to use in the church, uh, just give them to the Lord. Ask the Lord to, to use you, whatever you need, need Heavenly Father. Uh, show me a ministry that I can be involved in and be a blessing in in the church. So, uh, let's be who we are. And I don't know if this is going out over the airwaves today. Is, is the, uh, that i today, Dick? Or, yeah, and so, as I look about, I look about and I see people who I believe have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, by His grace have been Certainly, uh, public testimony given to members of his church. And so, uh, praise God for that. But for anyone who might be watching, God's reaching out to you today. This You've heard the gospel, He's reaching out to you today. There's many false churches. The Roman Catholic Church is not the only church out there preaching false gospels and talking about a false Jesus Christ. So, uh, You need to trust in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Just as Martin Luther gave that testimony. That uh, it just, the world opened up and how beautiful it was. And, And to know that it's not your works that save you. It's the works of Jesus Christ that saves you. That he's the basis of salvation. He pays for your sins. And you receive his perfect righteousness. He clothes you. In His righteousness. So when you stand before God, and He says, "Why should I let you into My heaven?" You're not going to say, "Well, I gave charity, and I gave money to the church, and, and uh, I used to drive some crippled person to uh, the hospital." Or because Jesus Christ lived and died for me. That—that's uh, fine and all the works that you do afterward are not part of the basis of your salvation. It's the evidence of your salvation. Jesus said we would be known by our fruit, by our works. So that's just the evidence, but never the basis. Christ alone. So God's reaching out to you through this church. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you will be saved. And God have mercy on you and give you the grace to believe. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your great love. Thank you uh, for our great salvation in you. Uh, we uh, praise you for bringing us here to give you the worship that you deserve. Lord. And we pray that you move within us, Holy Spirit to uh, see how blessed we are more and more every day that we wake up, that uh, we would be... Praising you most of all for our eternal salvation, but also, Lord, uh, living in this nation especially, Lord, with the freedoms we enjoy, that uh, our cup runneth over and over and over. And so many Christians throughout the world, when they profess your name, Lord, the, the government will come down hard on them, or their neighbors or co workers or, or even their own families, Lord, will even kill them because they love you. So thank you for the many blessings we have here. Help us to su- support our brothers and sisters suffering like that, Lord, whatever we can do. And uh, again, be with our nation, be with those in authority over us, uh, that they would guard these freedoms, Lord, and uh, that they would, uh, raise a, you would raise up uh, politicians, Lord, that would appreciate this and, and, uh, and, and make decisions that will keep the nation free. And that we would have freedom of religion and speech, Lord, and and, uh, that uh, we we commit that into your hands. And if anyone is listening, Lord, and just hearing the gospel tonight, have mercy upon them, Lord. You need to open their eyes, give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they might be saved. And uh, we do pray that you come soon, Lord Jesus, and pray in your precious name. Amen.